Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, happy Easter, man. This is the best day of the entire year. It's this day, by the way, that we celebrate real life and freedom and actual forgiveness. It's the day that brings legit hope to humanity. It is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. Jesus isn't dead, man. He is alive. This is the day that culminates everything for a believer. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time today, we've been looking at the final week of Jesus' life over the last several weeks. And that final week is called the Passion Week because whether you realize it or not, you are Christ's passion. He did what he did for you. In fact, Romans 5.8 puts it like this. Check this out. Uh, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You may be watching or listening today and you haven't given much thought to God. You know, you might think that your, your past is just too much for God to overlook. But the truth is, while all of us, myself included, were far from God, Jesus came. He came to die for you, to die for me, so that we might satisfy God's judgment against sin, which is our wrongs, and give us real forgiveness and real freedom. Now, there's four Gospels which tell the story of Jesus, and we've bounced around each one a little bit here throughout this series, but I want to take you to John's account of the resurrection today. I, I love reading his side of the story because there's a little humor that he inserts. And I happen to think God has an incredible sense of humor. You know, the Bible says we're made in God's image, which means that our laughter, right, our, our, our humor, it all has a source, and that source is him. Well, John, he, he has a little fun with this in his own version of Jesus' resurrection. It kind of makes a pretty good read. So it goes like this, John chapter 20, verse number one. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, out, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. So John never mentions himself by name. In fact, none of the gospel writers mention themselves by names in their accounts. But John is the only one who gives himself the title, the one whom Jesus loved. You know, it's almost like he's kind of needling the other guys, you know. Hey, you know, we got Peter and James and Matthew. Those are great guys. Okay, but I am the one that Jesus really loved. You know, it's kind of like that, almost like brothers going at it, right? Look at verse number two. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And so Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. <laughs> you know, the one disciple that Jesus loved, he was the youngest of the bunch, and he makes it a point to let you know. I beat everybody there. I beat Peter, okay? And that's important because Peter is the one that everyone thinks of as the leader. It's kind of almost like John is putting little subtle jabs all in good fun in there, doesn't it? Look at verse 5. 
he stooped and he got into the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple uh, who had reached the tomb first, you got to get that in there, right? He also went in and he saw and believed for until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead, and then they went home. Now that's the entire resurrection account right there. The other Gospels have about as much to say about it, and that's really interesting, you know, because I, I, they didn't really stop there. The resurrection is a small part of the story. What the Gospels do, especially John's, is they look at more of the appearances that Christ makes after His resurrection than they do the actual resurrection itself. Jesus is going to show Himself five times on Easter Sunday, and at least ten times after that before He ascends back to heaven. And I think it shows, too, something about how just big God's heart is for us. You know, he had spent somewhere between 30 and 33 years on this earth loving and connecting and building relationships with people. I mean, he just loved it. And he couldn't help but keep doing it. And he does for about another 40 days or so. He's still making appearances. And all this had me thinking in the lead up to the message here today. If everyone thought you were dead and you just showed up out of the blue, <laughs> who would you appear to first? Now, if, if I'm Jesus, okay, I, I, I got a list, all right? <laughs> first, first you got to find mom, right? All, all boys love their mamas. Don't pretend like it's anything different for you. I've, I've got two boys, and they would do anything that their mom wanted. Uh, their mama's boys for sure, but that's okay, because my little girl is 100% daddy's girl, and I'm, I'm cool with that. So I, I'd go find mom, right? The last time Mary had seen Jesus was on the cross. He was bloodied and beaten and torn apart. Like, wouldn't you want to go? to mom and just let her know I'm good I'm okay you know every mom wants that for their kids even now as a grown adult if I'm traveling somewhere my mom wants to know that I got where I was going okay you know like you, you just never stop being a mom right and so I, I would go see her first but next I'd go see Pilate wouldn't you want to show up in front of the very guy who had the power to execute you Matthew's account of Jesus is the only one that includes Pilate's wife and she she tells him not to kill Christ in fact, she begs Pilate not to do it. He doesn't listen to her. So, okay, strike one, right? During the trial, she sends a note to him telling him to leave Jesus alone. She suffered nightmares about this guy. She's really struggling, and she has that feeling. You know those feelings you can't really extrapolate on, but you know deep in your knower, wherever that's at, that something is up. She had one of those, and he doesn't listen to her. Strike two. So if I'm Jesus, I can't help it. I got to show up, and I just got to look at Pilate and say, strike three, right? He just got to let him know that you're, you're, you're alive. Last but not least, you, you, you have to make a visit to the Sanhedrin. This is the Jewish governing body that arrested Jesus to begin with. Now, now there are three factions that made up the Sanhedrin, and they functioned similar to political parties, only they were theocratic in nature. You had the Essenes, who were really radical, and they virtually held no seats, maybe one or two. Then you had the two main factions, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees hated Jesus. They, they'd been on his back from day one. But the Sadducees 
Sadducees, they didn't, they didn't really care until Lazarus came back from the dead. Then they had an issue because the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. You're not supposed to come back from the dead. That's not supposed to happen. So wouldn't you like to show up to a room full of Sadducees who just saw you beaten and nailed to a cross a couple days ago, who don't believe in the supernatural, no resurrection, okay? And just show up in the middle of a big crowd of those guys and just yell, boo! <laughs> you know, like, I, I would love that! I would have done that. It would have been too much fun. And, and that's one of the many reasons why I, I'm not Jesus, okay? <laughs> but Jesus didn't appear to just anybody after he rose. It's actually interesting to consider who he did appear to. In fact, the first person he appeared to was not one of the 12 apostles, even though this person was a follower of his. The first person wasn't a leader that people looked up to. In fact, this person wasn't even a man, which for that day and age is like massive. I always have a hard time when people try to argue how chauvinistic and sexist or whatever the Bible is. Listen, Jesus gave prominence to women in an era where they were viewed as property. They had no rights. It's not an accident that he first appears to a woman named Mary Magdalene. And in doing so, he showed how much God truly values each and every person, period. Look at John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside of the tomb crying. Remember Peter and John, they just left to go back home, right? And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Christ had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Well, because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Now, I think so many people can relate to this scene right here. You know, Mary is clearly broken. And maybe you're watching and listening right now, and, and there's just a deep hurt that you're battling through. Maybe people know about it. Maybe they, they, maybe they don't know about it, you know, but, but you've, you've got a hurt and it's just tearing you apart. And that's Mary. You know, notice that she looks in the tomb and the angels ask why she's crying. And I, I think heaven itself, man, is just drawn towards the broken. I want you to look at Psalm 34, 18 real quick. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I think that God is attracted to those who are completely and utterly broken. And that's you today. I want you to know that heaven sees you. God sees you. He longs for you to be healed. He has a desire to restore you and bring you out of the hurt that you have into a newfound joy. And after she explains the reason she's hurting so much, she turns to Jesus, only she doesn't even recognize him right away. Now, there's a reason for that. That's the common theme you find all throughout these appearances, is that when people first see Jesus, they don't recognize him instantly. And it's odd because they've been with him for a few years, some of them even longer than that. So why don't they recognize him? Well, Scripture teaches that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. What we mean by that is this. We mean that he was the first to be resurrected with a glorified body. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but we have this promise from 1 Corinthians 15 that we'll inherit glorified bodies when God raises us and we enter eternity. And those bodies have no pain, no sickness, no harm. I don't know what that looks like, but it appears to be obvious there is a difference because the very people, again, who had known Christ for years, they don't recognize Him right away when He appears to them. 
But there's something else I want you to draw. Uh, I want to draw your attention to very quickly. When we experience what's known as like a dark night of the soul, uh, we can think we're walking through this thing all alone. It can feel like God is not with us. You know, we think he's not present. And I believe Mary's situation shows us this. Jesus is not as far away as you think he is. So look for him. After appearing to Mary, John records Jesus appeared to the rest of the apostles who were hiding. They had seen Jesus get arrested, crucified, and they thought like they were going to be next, which makes sense. Okay, so um, they're all locked up in a room. But there's one apostle who was notably absent when Christ makes his next appearance. Look at verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I ain't going to believe it. Not unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into his, you know, the wound in his side. And so you had this guy named Thomas who's called the doubter because, you know, this scene right here puts him in a negative light. And I got to admit, like, I feel bad for this guy. I, I don't know if any of us would have behaved much differently than Thomas did. Uh, he missed out on the first appearance, which, which, by the way, I think that describes how doubters and skeptics often feel. They feel as if they miss out all the time. It's one of the reasons why they're just so skeptical by nature. You know, they, they're, they're never around for really cool things to happen, I guess. He had seen Jesus die. He'd seen the body taken down. Maybe he saw the tomb where he was laid, but he at least knew that he was laid in a tomb. If your leader is dead, logically you think your mission's over, right? Or at least it's going to come to a close. For Thomas, like that was it. It was done. And so hearing that Christ appeared, that only makes him more resolute. There's no way it's the cheese you ate last night, whatever. Like, I, 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 just, I won't believe it unless I see it for myself. He draws a line in the sand. I got to see the wounds. I got to feel where they are. And until that happens, you can count me out. And I think for every person who wonders about Jesus, who doubts if he's the real deal, if this resurrection really happens, right, you kind of doubt that kind of thing, you need to know that Jesus is not turned off by your doubting. Your skepticism doesn't keep him away. In fact, I want you to watch this. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were gathered again. And this time, Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, Hey, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas says, My Lord and my God. Doors are locked. Everybody's sitting tight. And Jesus just appears out of nowhere. Like those words, peace be with you, are pretty important when you consider how he just kind of shows up, you know? And he tells Thomas to put his hands into his wounds. Hey, Thomas, test, test these doubts that you have. Let your skepticism see for yourself. And now that you have, listen, it's time for you to start believing. What I love about this appearance is that Jesus comes to where Thomas is, but he doesn't just get on Thomas's level here. He asks Thomas to take a step. He tells him to reach out. Let me just challenge you a little bit today. If you're skeptical, if you're not sure about God, hey, stick with us here at, at, at Radiant Church. If you're local, stick with us here in, in, for in-person services. I'm not going to ask you to go all in at one time, but I'm going to ask you to take a step to reach out. To see for yourself, but, but reach out, man, because Jesus, he's waiting. Take a step and he'll do the rest. Why? Because Jesus isn't bothered by your doubts. So reach out to him. 
Now the final appearance I want to look at today is, is to a guy who felt like the ultimate failure. His name's Peter. A few days earlier, he was the de facto leader of this group of followers. He had told Jesus he would die with them. He would never let harm come to him. And, and Jesus had said, well, look, it has to be this way. And so just so you know how intense it's going to get, Peter, you'll deny even associating with me three times before that rooster crows. In other words, before the sun rises. And when that moment happened, three of the Gospels record Peter locking eyes with Jesus and realizing what he had done. And when that happens, he just sobs in an uncontrollable state. He had felt like his failure drove Jesus away. But here's the truth about our failures. They don't drive Jesus from us. They drive Jesus to us. Mark's account says Mary and the other women were with the angel uh, when he said, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. He knew that Peter failed. Christ knew that he, he had a, a rough condition. His spirit was broken. So he makes it a point to include Peter by name. Why? Because your failure is not final. You know, failure leads to disappointment. And disappointment really is the gap between reality and expectation. God, he knows everything. So there can't be a gap with God, which means you can't actually disappoint God. Because God can't say, well, I didn't see that coming. Why? Because God knows everything, and yet he still chooses to make appearances. Jesus didn't appear to his enemies. He didn't appear to the elites. He went to someone who was broken, someone who was doubting, and someone who felt like they were failing. John 21 sets our final scene here. Jesus and Peter are having breakfast on the shore to the Sea of Galilee when this happens here. Look at verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then he repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus says. A third time he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Why? Because it became clear to Peter. He denied Christ three times. Maybe Jesus hadn't forgotten about that. Maybe he's making sure his love is the real deal. So he says, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And so Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, I'm going to share something with you that I haven't seen until a few weeks ago. I haven't paid attention to it, really, and I'm betting you haven't either. Your New Testament was written in the first century Greek language called Koinonia Greek. It's not spoken today, but we can read it and translate it. Greek is really expressive, way more than English. Uh, we have one word for love in English, and we use that word in a variety of different contexts. But first century Greek has four different words for love, and they're used in very specific contexts. So there's the love you have for your kids, like a parental type kind of love. There's the love for intimacy, eros, where we get the word erotica from. There's the love for friendship, philio. That's, that's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Finally, there's agape. And that refers to unconditional love. It's the highest, purest, greatest form of love that any one person could possess. Jesus uses the term agape in the first two questions to Peter. Do you love, do you agape me? And Peter responds each time with, yes, Lord, you know I love phileo you. 
Now, Christ is expressing unconditional love. Peter comes back with the term for friendship, and it's very likely he does that because he does not feel himself worthy enough to claim he has unconditional love for Jesus after his failures. And yet Jesus responds each time, I got a job for you, take care of my people, keep it, keep it up. See, that's the thing about God. He, he forgives. The past is the past. He doesn't bring up the past again once He forgives you. Our culture, boy, it no longer does that. We hold your sins over you forever. You can never absolve yourself in our culture. But that's not how Christ operates. He forgives and moves on. That third time, Jesus will change the word. He'll use phileo instead of agape. There's a reason for that. And the reason is Jesus is going to come to where Peter is at. If you feel like a failure today, this final appearance that Christ makes reminds us that Jesus isn't giving up on you. So love him back. He'll love you back, even with all your mistakes and issues and failures. God has always been treating people the way that Christ treated Peter. In Genesis 3, we get the story of Adam and Eve, the first two people God created. Adam and Eve lose everything when they sin. They lose their innocence, and then they feel shame, which, by the way, that's the first two things that sin does. It steals your innocence, and then it invokes shame in your life. They go and try to hide from God. They're hanging out in the bushes as God walks in the garden. Now, remember, God knows everything, right? And He knew what they had done. He knew they had just changed the game with sin, and yet He's not turned off by them. He chooses to come to them, to walk where they are. In fact, he cries out, where are you? He knew where they were, but he was inviting them to come to him, to take one step out towards him. God is calling you to do the same thing today. He's inviting you to come. He invited man to come to him in the very first story of the Bible, and he invites you to come in the very last one. Look at this. These are the very last words that Christ will speak to John as he's having the vision of the end time, which we call Revelation. Look at Revelation 3.20. Last words that Jesus speaks to John. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together his friends. And Jesus is standing at the door knocking. You know, sharing a meal in that period is one of the most hospitable things you could do with another person. And really, I mean, we live the same way today too, don't we? We have meals with people we like and want to get to know and we're friends with. Christ is calling out to you. He's inviting you to come to him. He's making an appearance. If there were a thousand steps to salvation, he would take 999 if you will just take one. He's coming to where you are on your level. God is still making appearances today. From beginning to the end, He's still looking, He's still calling, and He's still seeking you. And the question today you have to ask yourself is, will I answer? And why take one step towards Him and say yes? If you're watching or listening right now, you might want to stop what you're doing. Maybe even pull over if you're driving. If you say, Pastor, I'm listening to what you have to say today, and I'll be honest with you, like, I, God's going to come on my level. I, 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 God's going to come where I'm at. I don't know if I knew that. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I always thought I had to get to where God is. No, God has come to you. He's waiting on your turn. It's your next move. 
So if you want to say yes to Christ today, if you'd say, man, I'm ready to, to, to do this, to get started with this new life with the Lord, with the life that God has for me, then I want you to say this prayer after me. Model it in your own way, in your own words, but I want you to say a prayer that goes kind of like this. Lord, I'm so sorry for the sin that I've done. Forgive me for my wrongs. Forgive me, God, for not measuring up to your standards. I know I've, I've gone against that. And so what I'm saying today is I'm saying, Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me. If that be my Savior, I can't save myself. I know that you can do it, though. I, 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 I'm, I'm accepting that you died for me. I'm accepting that you rose for me so I can be free from sin. So will you forgive me in my sin? Will you forgive me in my wrong? And will you save my life? And I don't want to just be someone who can say Christ is my Savior. I want you to be Lord. I, I'm going to commit myself today on to following you, to serving you. Will you guide me and lead me and direct me? I'm not going to do my own thing. I've tried that. It doesn't work very well. I want you to lead me and take center stage. I will follow after you this day forward. Be my Savior and be my Lord today. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.